everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today we're going to be taking a look at the start of the 2021 MLS season. To help me do so, I've got a gentleman who is all about that young money. It's Sam Stasco of The Athletic and the Allocation Disorder Podcast. Sam, thank you very much for being here. Taylor, thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. <laughs> I think that was genuine. I hope it was, but I'm assuming it is <laughs> it was, indeed your pleasure was. to be here. Yeah, I put on a weird voice, but it was genuine. <laughs> Uh, I do want to start with the Young Money Cash Money Initiative, which is what I'm now calling it. Uh, I know that that is a subject near and dear to your heart. For uh, folks who have not paid as much attention as you have, what is this new mechanism? What is it actually called and what does it do? Yeah, so it's actually called Young Money Cash Money Brenner. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it's called the Under 22 Initiative. <laughs> And uh, Brenner is not going to be a U22 player, by the way. He's just a regular old designated player for those for those keeping score. Uh, but to actually answer your questions, uh, the U22 initiative, which should be officially announced by the time people listen to this podcast, I think uh, MLS is supposed to announce it on Tuesday. It essentially allows teams to sign up to three uh, in ways so that they don't hit the budget as high as they would previously. Uh, so let me go in depth a little bit. If one of those players, if you, if a team is choosing to sign a U22 player from abroad, they can spend whatever they want on the transfer fee. They can spend 10 million. They can spend 20 million. They can spend 1 million. Doesn't matter. It doesn't count towards that player's salary budget hit, um, and it does for other players um, and other designations. So that's new. the The thing that the the, the limiting factor, I guess, is the salary. And those players, in most cases, cannot make more than the maximum budget charge, which for 2021 is $612,500. Um, so that's basically the the limiting factor. And from a big picture standpoint, um, that means that a team like Atlanta can go out and sign a player like Santiago Sosa for whatever transfer fee from River Plate. I think it was something like $6 million. Um, if I'm remembering the reports correctly, they can then pay him $600,000 a year and he'll have a, a budget charge. He'll count on their cap at either 150000 or 200000 depending mostly on his age. Um, so it basically just allows teams to go out and sign players who are young, who have the potential to grow in value and have the potential to help the, the team on the field while they grow in value. Um, it allows teams to go and sign more of those guys. And in theory, those are the players that you're able to sell on and make a profit on at some point down the road. Um, so that's what this is really about. It's about helping clubs sell more players. It's about helping them generate more revenue in the transfer, transfer market and helping turn MLS into more of a selling league. It's also open to domestic players, so homegrowns and guys who are drafted out of college can also get these contracts. I wouldn't expect many of them uh, to get them on their first deals, although maybe they will. Um, you know, if you want to pay a guy above 150000 uh, or 200000 right, and and he can't count as a homegrown or a generation Adidas or whatever, then it's beneficial for your cap if you're an MLS team to, to tag him as this. Um, but those second contracts, I think this will be pretty valuable for for these types of players. Maybe you don't have to spend targeted allocation money on them. Maybe you don't have to spend a designated player spot on them. You can just sign them to a U22 deal, uh, keep their cap hit pretty low, and you know eliminate the potential of them maybe having their eye wander to uh, 
European shores a little bit. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's really interesting and I think it's, uh, I think it's a cool initiative. Uh, like I said, teams can sign up to three. Um, but if you have three senior DPs who cannot be bought down with Tam, so basically guys who are over the age of 23 and who make more than 1.6 million in 2021, uh, then you're only allowed one U22 player. Um, so a team like, you know, Toronto FC, if people are wondering why they haven't signed a third DP yet, well, it's because they have two senior DPs. And from what I was told a couple of months ago, they were sort of like, hmm, well, do we want to sign another senior DP? Or do we want to try and maybe wait a little bit longer, find a young DP, guy that's under 23, but makes more than the 600 budget charge so we can preserve our three U22 spots? So that's part of the calculus. With all of these moves, as with everything in MLS roster rule world, um, things are connected, right? The knee bone is connected to the shin bone, so to speak. Um, I'm going on very long. It's kind of a long, complex explanation, but I think I covered most of the main points there. You did, and I appreciate your willingness to get into the details, which is the thing I've seen you do pretty regularly when it comes to this topic uh, and is where I want to go with this because some of your responses are clearly very informed. You've done the reading. You know what this stuff means, but it also feels like there's an element of like almost philosophy to it of like, well, it could be theoretically interpreted that way if they were to do this. Like it seems <laughs> like there are moving parts, and where that leads me to wonder is like are these rules – very set in stone and we just don't get to see that or is there like uh, maybe not inter miami in this case but is there like <laughs> a a mechanism for clubs or to, uh, to go before don garber or whomever makes the decisions and sort of say like well this w- wording is confusing so we saw it as an opportunity to do this and then we utilize this loophole like can you make arguments as to why you've built your roster does mls allow you that flexibility because things are so written down or is there just a lot of interpretation and it's sort of open to debate until it isn't? Um, it's never not open to debate. Okay. MLS. I think there's anything in the history of the league that we've learned. It's that everything is open for debate always. And that things often proceed on a case by case basis. Uh Right. Um, you know, think back to the Clint Dempsey signing for instance, right. Uh, Seattle got him. But other like owners around the league chipped in to pay the transfer fee. It wasn't just Seattle that paid it, which is wild, right? Mm-hmm. Because they did it for the good of the league, right? Think back to when Zlatan came on a TAM contract, right? Now, the Galaxy jumped through some hoops, maybe helped arrange a sponsorship with Visa to, to make him whole from a money perspective. But... You know, if Miami's getting investigated for potentially having four DPs, maybe L.A. could have been investigated for having four (laughs) DPs that one year. Um, But for a player like Zlatan, the league and other owners maybe said, you know what? It's worth it. Go ahead. Right. For a player like Blaise Matuidi or Matias Pellegrini, maybe they don't clear that bar. (laughs) Um, So everything's always case by case. Most of these decisions don't get to Garber's level, mm-hmm. you know, especially like on a, you know, can this guy be counted as Tam or we're doing this little thing in some, you know, in on page 10 of the roster rules with, you know, a guy who's making $250,000 a year that just goes to the player department and GMs and sporting directors have their debates with people like Todd Durbin and people who work for Todd Durbin. And they hash it out and they see what's possible and what's not. The rules change in MLS so often that, 
their teams can get flexible with this stuff. And that, to bring it back to the U22 initiative, you can guys can be grandfathered in from what I was told a week or two ago um, or what was reiterated to me a week or two ago. So a player that was signed last year, right? Um, but wasn't, you know, when the U22 initiative didn't even exist, uh, if he meets the qualifications, he can be grandfathered in and designated as a U22 player this year. Um, oh, and one other thing, one other detail on that note. So as long as the player does not turn 23 in his first season in the league, that's the, mm-hmm. the cutoff point for being signed. And then they can maintain the designation until their age 25 season. So it's not as if they're, they're cut off once they turn 23. Um, once you get in, you're good until you turn 25, until that season. So another little wrinkle there. And for people who definitely aren't me, because I totally know, uh, who is Todd Durbin? And does he preside over MLS <laughs> yes, courts? Is he, is he banging the gavel and saying, no, that's a fourth DP, not allowed? Uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly. I mean, a decision like that, you know, like this Miami investigation that I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point in the show. It might be the uh, next that, question. <laughs> that, that goes up. I would imagine that goes all the way up to Garber. Gotcha. Right. But Durbin, Todd Durbin, I, I cannot remember his exact title for the life of me right now. But basically what he does is he's in charge of the of the player department, mm-hmm. which basically means that that's the department that makes sure every team is compliant. They approve or deny every single signing. They, they're they the ones that run kind of the salary budget for every team and keep track of allocation money. Um, all of that roster rule stuff, that department is in charge of. So Todd Durbin, he's been at the league, I think, since the very beginning, um, if not shortly thereafter. Um, so he's been around for a long time. He's one of the most important executives in MLS um, at the league office. And, you know, he essentially is the one that's written the roster rules all these years. So he's very important um, to all of these discussions. So maybe it will not be Todd Durbin uh, weighing in on the Inter-Miami situation. Maybe that's Don Garber. Maybe it's somebody else. But I wanted to I would ask- imagine... Durbin would have a voice in that room, but the final say is probably Garber's on that one. All right. All right. Now let's talk about what that final say might be, because as it stands, basically it's Blaise Matuidi is not a DP, but is a DP and is now being treated as such. They made that official. He is a DP this year. We know that. Yeah. (laughs) You've got, I love that they did it in order as well. Blaise Matuidi, number eight, Gonzalo Higuain, number nine, Rodolfo Pizarro, number 10, Matias Pellegrini, Uh number 11. So that was good of them to put them in sequential order. I didn't even realize that. Nor did I until this very moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, like, I guess I want to start with the specific and then get broad from there. I've seen Mm -hmm. a few people ask if maybe, uh, Inter-Miami could use the U22 initiative, uh, to essentially, like, reconfigure Pellegrini's contract such that he then would be the young DP and then they could have four. It sounds like that's not doable or at the very least (laughs) wouldn't be as feasible, uh, when it comes to the players union and such. So before I answer your question, I'm just going to say, don't call the U22 or the young money players, young mm-hmm. DPs, because that's a different category My of player. So, of you know, we just, we want, this is confusing and we want to avoid confusing people even more. Right. <laughs> sure. um, to answer your question, Pellegrini cannot be a U22 player. He makes too much money. He's above the maximum threshold. Uh, Jorge Moss came out last week and, and said that they had thought, at one point in time that Pellegrini could have been bought down to that number. And, and I don't know, maybe 
maybe there's a deck floating around out there that the league distributed when they first started talking about this rule, which probably would have been in, in 2019 or maybe even earlier that said, Hey, a U22 player could be, could make 800,000 or 900,000 or whatever. And then that, that cutoff point got lowered to the maximum budget charge at a later date. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> even if they thought Pellegrini could have been a U22 player at one point in time, they knew or they should have known when they signed Matuidi and Iguain last summer that he wouldn't be able to be. So that sort of comment kind of falls on deaf ears for me. It, it's irrelevant um, because, you know, when they signed Matuidi and when they signed Iguain, they knew. They knew what the cutoff point was going to be because that had, I think that had already been reported. The league had certainly messaged it to teams. So, um so yeah, it's that's interesting, but they cannot buy him down. They cannot buy anyone down with Tam, um, Matuidi, Iguain, Pizarro, and Pellegrini are all designated players. That is one too many, mm-hmm. um, and they need to rectify that situation by getting rid of one of them by Friday, which is the roster compliance deadline, and of course, the day the season starts. So it's going to be interesting. You know, we've reported at the Athletic that they're trying to move Pellegrini. Um, you know, that could be a trade that could be an interleague loan, maybe. Um, but the market for a player you need to dump, they don't have a lot of leverage in those negotiations. Um, and another team would be committing to picking up a designated player who has a guaranteed contract for the next four years and wasn't very good last year. Right. So you're taking on some risk there. And, and maybe the, the team that adds him can can move him on for a million or two million if he or three million or maybe way more if he comes out and is a star this season. Um, but if he falls flat again, then you've you've got a DP contract on your books for the next three seasons beyond this one. So the next four total. So there's some risk. We'll see. There's been some rumors that Montreal are interested. Um, I think that would make sense on some level, but. Um, we shall see. He wouldn't have to move if he gets traded to Montreal oh, yeah. because they're, of course, starting the season in Fort Lauderdale. So that would be uh, better for him, I guess, from that standpoint. I feel bad for the kid because he didn't do anything wrong in this situation and he's probably the one that's going to have to pay the price, at least in the short term. Miami could be punished too, but we'll see. Well, I feel bad for you, Sam, because I have several follow-up questions, starting with... like. <laughs> What uh, you're correct to call me out on the young money DP thing, and I don't want it to be confusing. I still like struggle with what the terminology should then be because it's the U22 right. initiative, it's the young young money uh, cash money initiative. But like next to their name, if it's Gonzalo Iguain, it's DP. If it's right. uh, I don't know, I forget who it would be for inter. inter- Eze- so Ezekiel Barco would be a young DP, right? Right. So, so and, what would and this that just be means then? he's a designated player uh-huh. who is under the age of 23. Right. And that means his cap hit is instead of being 612,500 mm-hmm. like Iguain's would be is I think 200,000. And and I could be off on these numbers. I'm not looking at the documents in front of me, so I apologies if I make any errors. I won't hold but, you to that one. That's fine. But Barco is a young DP and not a U22 player, not able to be a U22 player because his salary is over over a million dollars. It's well over the maximum threshold for a U22 player, right? So the U22 player like Santiago Sosa, um, who I think I mentioned earlier, you know his his salary is capped at six twelve five hundred, and Atlanta paid whatever transfer fee they want for him, and his cap charge will be one fifty or two hundred, similar to Barco's. Right. 
But let's say, and I know this can't happen, but just say for sake of argument, <laughs> or even Sosa. Maybe I should just look at this. As like, if you look at uh, Sosa with Atlanta United, like literally, mm-hmm. what does it say next to his name instead of DP or homegrown or well, Generation? The Adidas? league hasn't announced it yet. This so... is what I need to know, man. <laughs> I'm so confused. Um, so, I mean, we've been joking around calling them young money players. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Bocanegra used that phrase in an interview that he did earlier this winter. So. Let's just call it Young Money, man. The league hasn't put a label on it, so we can put whatever label on it that we want. So you have DP, you have Young DP, and you have Young Money. How about that? Should it be Young Dollar Sign, or should it be actual Young Money written out? Hmm. I don't know. We'll have to go to... uh, We'll have to go, I think, to the the rule. I I don't know what kind of board is going to make a ruling on this, Mm -hmm. but maybe we'll conduct a blind draw. And and uh, and see where Jermaine Jones is allowed to sign. <laughs> I do like the idea of it being like Joseph Martinez, DP, George Bello, HG, and then Santiago Sosa, Y, and then dollar sign for young money. I like this plan. <laughs> I like this plan. There we go. Uh, so you, you mentioned that the plan, it seems to be with Inter-Miami, is to move on Pellegrini. That does seem to be the consensus one, especially from the name recognition standpoint with probably the money invested. Is yeah. he the best player, you think, for them to be looking to move on? Because Blaise Matuidi also doesn't seem to have covered himself in glory last season. No, he wasn't great last year. Neither was Iguain, for that matter. Um, I think his numbers were worse than Chicharito's, uh, who came in for all sorts of hell last season for his performance. So... Uh, on some level, yes, it's hard to know how they've looked this preseason, right? And you, if you want, you can say, oh, Matuidi and Iguain, they showed up so late last year. It was a weird pandemic season. They're obviously very talented, very impressive players with incredible careers. They should be able to come to MLS and do pretty well, you would think. Um, Pizarro, he's certainly not going anywhere. Um, understand? I think that, that goes mm. without saying. Um, so it probably comes down to Pellegrini or Matuidi based on contract, based on performance, right? And then you have to look at the PR element too. And if Matuidi, if you buy him out, which would be your option with him, you know, Miami is a team that's been in the press in not great ways for a while, really. Um, yeah. whether, it's, whether it's their name, whether it's their results, whether it's that weird thing that happened with Diego Alonso and being fired but not and then being fired and that whole mess and being connected to every single aging European star ever. Right. And then not signing any of them until Matuidi and Higuain. Um, you know, if you went out and, and you bought Matuidi out because you unknowingly or unwittingly or knowingly broke MLS rules, well, that's kind of embarrassing. Right. And I don't know if ownership wants to go through that again. And I don't know if that sends a good message to some of those other European stars who you might be targeting in the future, right? Uh, and Pellegrini, he wasn't great last year either. I think he had one goal and two assists um, and was in and out of the lineup, right? So it's not like it's a sure thing that he's going to pay off. The thing with him is you spend a lot of transfer money on him. Um, the fee, the quoted fee that we've been able to suss out is between six and nine million, which is a weird range. I know, but if you split the difference and call it seven and a half, right, that's a lot of money to just eat. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I think it makes sense to move from him. I think it would also make sense to buy out Matuidi. 
Um, and then it just comes down to what matters most to you, right? Is it performance? Is it getting a return on a player? Is it setting up to be most successful in 2021 and beyond? Um, is it PR and how do you weigh all of those different factors? And then you run that, run that formula through, right. And you come out with an outcome and that seems to be Pellegrini at this point. All right. I want to take a moment, though, to talk a little bit about that decision making process, because I think for fans, for for people in the media, it's sort of easy to look at what Inter Miami have done or what they're doing and think, like, how did you all not know that? How do you make that mistake? Are you all trying to cheat? Are you all trying to get around the rules? And right. and I'm and I guess what I'm wondering is like and I don't mean this in a negative way, but do fans to some extent, and to people like yourself, care more about these rules, these roster requirements, than the people making the decisions in the moment? Like, is there sort of an understanding that MLS is going to work with you, we're going to find a way to make this work? You want Clint Dempsey? We'll even ship in to make that happen. I think sometimes that gets perceived as MLS is just making it up as they go along, and that's bad. And I wonder if there's another way of seeing it, which is MLS is just trying to help these teams exist, and if they have to move some things around or figure some things out, as long as it's within reason and not like breaking straight up rules then they're going to do it yeah so i think if you look through the history of mls the league has shown a willingness to kind of find loopholes or work around its own rules to help facilitate different signings right and and the most notable one of all is david beckham back in 2007 they invented the designated player rule so he could come and oh by the way they gave him an option to buy an expansion team for 25 million dollars uh that expansion team became inter miami (laughs) so if there wasn't some kind of like hey like we're gonna do things on the fly for the betterment of the league that might frustrate some people in the moment potentially like if anyone should know that it's it's Beckham and Inter Miami literally exists because of that, right? So so that's sort of the backdrop here. Um, I think it's also worth kind of explaining a little bit more of the background because I glossed over that initially. So Inter Miami had two DPS: Rodolfo Pizarro, Matias Pellegrini. Then they went out and signed Blaise Matuidi. Shocking to everyone, they signed him as a TAM player. Everyone assumed he would be a designated player. By signing him as a TAM player, they preserved their third DP spot, which they later used on Gonzalo Higuain. The league announced about a, a little over a month ago now that they were investigating here in Miami and the signing of Blaise Matuidi and whether or not it was in compliance with MLS Ross rules, a.k.a. was this dude actually a DP and did Miami actually carry four DPs in 2020 illegally, right? So I mentioned those lots on case earlier and like how maybe you can work around some things, but you have to try. Right. You have to you can't just be blatant about it. You can't be brazen about it. You can't fill a suitcase full of two million dollars cash and throw it into a player's trunk and say, hey, it's off the books. You're not a DP, but here's your money. The UK recruiting model. You can't utilize that. You can't you can't do that. Right. And so what this tells me is that, A, Inter Miami didn't do the AEG LA Galaxy model of, hey, come on down. Well, if you sign with us, we'll let you tap into the AEG, which is a very, it's a global network of arenas and venues and all sorts of entertainment properties. We'll let you tap into that, that sponsorship network and we'll hook you up with some money through that essentially. Right. And that's not the galaxy paying anybody. That's a sponsor paying someone in the galaxy and AEG facilitating a deal, technically legal. Right. Um, Miami doesn't appear to have done it like that. Right. And so if they did, in fact, make Matuidi a DP and just hid some payments and other owners found out about it, well, 
Matuidi didn't rise to the Zlatan threshold where everyone says, well, you know, it's Zlatan, like, we'll make it happen. And oh, by the way, they weren't brazen completely about it. Um, and so maybe some other owners got mad and got on the phone with Garber and said, you need to look into this. Uh, and here we are. MLS is still investigating. They should have an answer on that soon. And it's going to be interesting to see what the punishment is, right? Because they have to get compliant. And that's that Pellegrini discussion that we had. But also, if they were guilty of having four DPs for the latter half of the 2020 season illegally, yep. then they are going to be punished for that, right? Beyond just needing to get compliant for 2021. And it will be interesting to see if there is punishment, what it looks like. Um, I think some people are assuming it would be a fine, uh, potentially a hefty one. Uh, but I've talked to some GMs recently and they're like a fine wouldn't be enough because if it's just a fine, then you can just owners can just chalk that up to the cost of doing business. Right. And they can say, well, you know, if it's just a fine, if I'm an ambitious owner, I can just instruct my, my GM to go out and, and sign a fourth DP and hide it. And if we get caught, I'll pay the fine. And in the meantime, we'll give ourselves a better chance of winning. Right. So those GMs have basically been like, there needs to be a sporting punishment, a competitive punishment. And some have said points deduction. Some have said take away allocation money. Um, so we'll see. It could be something like that. Um, taking away allocation money, by the way, general allocation money would really hurt, uh, depending on how much they take it away. That stuff's important in order to be able to kind of fit more players and fit more money onto your roster. Um, and if they took that away, that would that would really sting. I don't think they would have to do it. They would be able to do it for this year just because, you know, it's already, we're about to kick off. But if they did it for next year, um, that'd be really interesting. What about, here's an alternative idea, Sam. What if we did another rule change and when we went with the, I'm going to call it the Chappelle rule from his oh. bit about, uh, uh, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know I couldn't do that and using yeah. that as your defense. Yeah, yeah, Could yeah. we just give yeah. every team a, a, a one-time, oh, one, like, one, oh, I'm one sorry, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Free? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, you could, you can do anything you want. Right. right. Uh, but no, that's not going to happen. I think his friend who utilized that was chip. So I'm calling it the chip rule. Uh, I will stop asking you about Inter Miami. I do have more I'm questions sorry. about them, but I have questions about many, many other teams as well. And I kind of want to start it with where you would like to start, Sam. Are there teams Whoa. or is there a team that you are enjoying more than others as we get ready to start the season that you think have done interesting things or not done necessary, interesting things? I'm really curious about the Galaxy. All right. I'm really curious about Toronto. A couple of coaching changes there. Um, Austin, of course, being an expansion team, I'm interested to see. Uh, Columbus and LAFC, two black and golds. I think they're the two best teams in the league at this point. Um, so there you go. There's a little menu for you. I gave you some options. You pick. I failed to write one down. Galaxy, Toronto, Austin, Columbus, LAFC. Yeah. That's I it? think that's right, cool. That's all of them. I don't, I don't know. Like I find a lot of teams interesting. I can talk up any team right now, but you know, and then there's, there's the quakes too, who have forever have a place in my heart for being completely crazy and fun. Well, let's start with the champions. Uh, then I remember covering Atlanta United when they won MLS cup and in the, that's another one, by the way. Oh, okay. New I'll add them to the list. Uh, but I remember even like before that game kicked off against Portland, there were already rumors that Greg Garza was being talked about as being traded because I think you wrote this like 
championship teams tend to be broken up at some point. Uh, and yet here we have Columbus getting almost stronger. Uh, do you think they are in a stronger position than they were maybe at the end of last season? And if so, yeah. how are they doing that? Who, how are they so well run? Who's making these choices? Well, it's a, yes, they are stronger, in my opinion. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, they didn't really lose any major contributors, and they signed potentially, you know, three new significant ones, and they got some growth from from guys on their roster already. How did that happen? Basically, they were ahead of schedule is how that happened. You know, I talked to Tim Bezbachenko, who's the president and GM out there, last summer, I think it's September or August, and I was basically like, hey, you know, like, how are things going? Stadium's opening next year. And he's like, yeah, you know, I think we're building. We're doing pretty well, but we haven't yet shown that we can beat the top teams, right? Like, we're beating who we should beat, but when we play the best, right, we're not quite at that level. And the way he was talking was like, this year will be good, but we want to time it for 2021 to really be contending for titles and trophies, Right. And if we can win this year, that's gravy. That's great. And then they won. Right. <laughs> um, and they did beat some top teams and they had, you know, I think an unexpectedly smooth path through the Eastern Conference for most of it. Right. Toronto lost to Nashville, so they didn't have to play them. Um, so that was pretty important. And then they went out and they've smashed Seattle in cup. And because they were a little bit ahead of schedule, they didn't have a they weren't in an onerous cap situation. And that made them able to go out and add. So they lost Eunice Mokhtar. They added Kevin Molino, right? Giassi's artist is probably going to miss a lot of time this season on international duty with the U.S. They brought in Bradley Wright Phillips, only like one of the most effective number nines in the history of MLS, right? Lucas Zellerayan, Darlington Nagby, Artur, maybe the best midfield trio in the entire league. Well, Aiden Morris, who was awesome in MLS Cup out of nowhere, um, should improve as a young developing player. And they brought in Perry Kitchen as some cover as well. Um, they also made a, what looks to be a U22 signing with Alexandru Matan um, as a winger slash attacking central player. So they got deeper. They have a good system that they understand with Caleb Porter. Um, they played really well in the playoffs. And if they stay healthy, there's no reason that they can't continue on and in this season. And that's the big if, right? Because most previews I've read sort of focus in on that right back spot. I mean, this is the depth that Columbus have and the strength they have that the issue seems to be what happens if Harrison Offal can't play every single game of the season and who deputizes there. Uh, It was Derek Etienne Jr. in their CONCACAF Champions League game. I'm assuming it won't be him, but maybe it will be. Could it be Etienne Jr. at right back if the situation requires? I'm blanking on their normal backup right back, um, but it's not Derek Etienne. (laughs) I don't know why I'm blanking, so I apologize for that, Columbus fans. I'm sure you'll yell at me on Twitter because you love yelling at people on Twitter. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so but Derek Etienne can provide some cover there too. And by the way, if if your biggest question going into the season right. is what happens yeah. if our starting right back can't play every single game, like that's a pretty good big question to yeah. have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they might have some questions at left back too, by the way, uh, because Milton Valenzuela got called into the most recent Argentine U23 camp and maybe, yeah. who knows, maybe he could go to the Olympics with them. 
Yeah, I think compared to a lot of the previous that were like, I don't know where their goals will come from. They don't have any midfield creativity. Yeah. They don't have a defense. Like, You're right. A backup it's like right maybe back. their okay. right back will miss some games. <laughs> okay. That's uh, one you can deal with. Let's stay in Ohio then. Let's talk about a different team. Let's talk FC Cincinnati. Uh, the aforementioned Brenner is here. Lucho Acosta's back in the league. Frankie Amaya is now out. They spent some money this offseason. Oh, yet. is he not yet? I thought that was uh, official. So a deal has been agreed, but Frankie Maya still needs to agree to a new contract with the Red Bulls before that trade is officially consummated. Um, As of recording, that has not happened. So we'll see. All right. Well, we are assuming Frankie Maya will be on his way out, if not out by the time people hear this. The way Cincinnati have gone about their business this offseason, do you think this was going with the Columbus idea? Was this always a plan? Was there this kind of we're going to lay the groundwork, we're going to figure some things out, we're going to get a stadium, then we're going to spend money? Or is this a decided change in approach? So they spent some money last year. People are forgetting that, right? They brought in Jurgen Locadia on loan, Mm -hmm. admittedly, but pretty significant loan fee they signed Yuya Kubo um so it wasn't like they didn't spend any money last season I don't think there was ever like (sighs) Minnesota did this right their three-year plan we're gonna open the stadium in year three and then and then we'll we'll be clicking by then and they sort of got to write some in my opinion revisionist history about how oh yeah this was always how it was gonna work sort of forgetting that they it was a complete joke in year one with the signings that they made. And like, I, I don't want to let Cincinnati do the same thing if they succeed this year, (laughs) because they were talking a big game ahead of year one about how they were going to compete. And they signed like 10 USL players, 11 USL players. And, uh, you know, traded for Fernando Adi and and just made a lot of moves that were kind of like, all right, like you think you guys think this is going to work. Okay. We'll see how it goes. And obviously we know how it went. They finished last. They have 10 wins in two years. Um, So that's not great. But they've been ambitious before. It went to a new level this season. Um, But I think some of the same questions that I've always had about Cincinnati remain. First of all, how are they going to defend? They didn't really make a ton of moves in the back. They signed Ronald Matarita. They added a center back on loan. Um, But I, I still have major, major questions and concerns about their defensive ability. I have I have questions about Locadia. You know, he he didn't perform to the level that was expected of him last year. Again, weird year, new environment. Maybe he comes back firing this season. Um, but we'll see. Um, you know, I have questions about Acosta. Same thing. He had that magical run with Wayne Rooney, I think, in 2018. But then he struggled in 2019 and didn't do a ton down in Mexico, right? So is he going to be worth it? And I think the main question with Cincinnati is, all right, they've spent a ton of money and that's cool. You can't knock the ambition, man. They're going for it. And I, I like, I really like that. Like not enough teams in this league do that, but you can question the efficiency. And in a league like MLS, where you only have so many resources you're allowed to spend, the efficiency matters. And that, you know, you hear whispers about how they overpaid significantly on Brenner, uh, I'm curious if Acosta is worthy of the DP deal that they gave him. Um, and we'll see how this stuff shakes out. Um, I'm not entirely sure it's going to work this year. They should certainly be better than what they were last year. Um, I think they could, they have the potential to be really fun going forward. Um, but I'm not sold at them on them at all, even as a playoff team in the East. Um, mostly because of those questions in the back and, you know, 
you got to be careful with how you spend your money in MLS and what kind of what kind of players you use your DP spots on and and all of that stuff. So we'll see, man. I respect the ambition, um, but I think the problem with Cincinnati is that there hasn't been enough of a plan ever, um, and I'm not sure that that's changed. So if teams have to be kind of mindful of how they're spending money, you don't want to buy the wrong players. You especially don't want to do that as an expansion team. That leads me to wonder how you think Austin have done so far. How efficient, how ambitious have they been in their acquisition strategy? I think it's been a good mix of like, all right, we're going to play this kind of safe, but we're also going to we're also going to go out and make some bigger moves. Right. If the extremes are like Nashville and like LAFC right in terms of like initial spend then i think they're in a good in between place and you look at what nashville did last year without having many dps at the beginning i think it was just mukhtar to start and then they added as the year went on but what they did so well is they really established a, a clear identity they had a good defensive base right and they really bought into the system and they had some mls veterans guys like dax mccarty Annie balka doy made a big move to get Walker Zimmerman. So they had a really good foundation. They had a good spine and they were able to take that and run. Um, I think Austin is sort of, sort of in that vein. Uh, I do have questions about their center backs. I have questions about their center forward. Um, but I think there are some really good pieces on this, on this roster. Um, I'm very curious to see what Tomas Pochettino and Cecilio Dominguez, who are their two DPs, um, what they look like. Um, particularly Pochettino. You know, they have Alex Ring at defensive midfield. He's, in my opinion, one of the better players in that position in MLS. He obviously had a lot of success with NYCFC over the years. Um, so I think Austin's in a solid spot. And I think basically, depending on, on how things go, how fast the team gels, who their third DP, who I think they'll probably sign in the summer, um, who that is, um, and how some of these new guys perform, I think they could easily contend for one of the final playoff spots in the West. But if things break the wrong way, right, as with a lot of teams in MLS, then they could struggle. So we'll see. Um, But I think Austin have done a decent job uh, in terms of assembling their roster, and I think they've positioned themselves pretty well. Looking at that roster build for a second, uh, Tom Bogert did his offseason grades uh, for every MLS team. He wrote, quote, head, cl- head coach Josh Wolf was hired before any player got signed, and he and sporting director Claudio Reyna worked to identify the profiles of players that would best fit the system, end quote. Uh, what sure. do you think that system looks like as far as you can tell, or what do you think the process was there? Yeah, so first of all, I think it's smart. It, it seems obvious to do it like that. Yes, it's on your coach and sporting director before you start signing players. Yeah. But uh, look at Miami. Not every team does it like that. I mean, Atlanta <laughs> didn't do it like that. Kevin Jones in there before Tata Martino. As yeah, I recall. but the, but they didn't shoot any big bullets before Tata. Really, I don't think. I think I think all three DPS came after him. So maybe Vialbo was around the time. But anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the system, I haven't gotten the chance to watch Austin in preseason because it's impossible to watch MLS preseason games, which is annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but Josh Wolf has been pretty clear that they're going to be playing a 4-3-3. I would imagine that it will share a lot of principles with what Greg Berhalter is doing with the national team. Um, for those who don't know, Josh Wolf was Greg Berhalter's top assistant in Columbus for years and was his top assistant with the national team until he got hired with Austin. So I think it's going to be similar style, similar goals, similar principles, um, down there 
in terms of what the midfield and what the attack and, and how they try and play. Um, so that's that's what I would look for. And who is the player you think will appear on the most like player to watch graphics? If there's midseason, if they're trying to hype a game with Austin, who's the the goal scorer, the number nine or the number ten that's going to be on the graphics, uh, getting those goals, creating yeah. some opportunities? Uh, Diego Fagundes. No, um, Tomas Pochettino, <laughs> I think for sure. I don't I don't know if he'll lead the lead the team in goals or stats. I, I don't think he will lead the team in goals, um, but he's going to be one, the one running the midfield, pulling the strings. Um, you know, he he's coming from Argentina, where he had a pretty solid run of years at a couple of different clubs. Uh, they're going to ask him to play a little bit higher up the field, I think, than what he was in Argentina, um, where he didn't have you know a ton of the counting stats that you might be looking for from a DP attacking midfielder in MLS. Uh, he's got, I think, two goals in preseason, both of which came from free kicks. So that's kind of exciting. Um, and I think him and Dominguez are going to be counted on to really produce for them offensively, uh, particularly with you know their lack of depth and probably top end talent at number nine, where it looks like Danny Hooson, formerly of San Jose is going to be the starter. So, um, I would look for Pochettino. That's the guy I have my eye on. Although if you're talking just from a purely attacking standpoint, Domingo Dominguez could be in that mix too. Well, since we're talking, uh, teams in the South that start with a and recruit, uh, Argentine players, let's talk Atlanta United. Uh, they feel like they're maybe in a similar boat to Columbus, at least in my mind, because there are, Areas of concern, there are lingering areas of concern, but simultaneously it seems like they have done a lot to address the issues of last season. Frank DeBoer obviously not working. He's gone. In comes Gabriel uh, Ince, which I'm probably still butchering the pronunciation of. But Ince, s- I believe. See, but you don't have the H, right? You don't say huh in, in, in Spanish. Yeah, but it's, so. not, it's not a Spanish name, though. Well... The less said about why he has a German name, the better, probably. They wow. uh, <laughs> they need Joseph Martinez back. They get Joseph Martinez back. They've added attacking depth with Lissandro Lopez. They brought in Franco Ibarra and Alan Franco, which is always going to confuse me. You can't have a player with a first name Franco and a player with a last name Franco and expect me Alan to know who's Alan Franco who. Ibarra. Oh, boy. I don't need that. That's that really is. I'm going to like combine them into one player. Just combine. Yeah. <laughs> so they are looking very solid to me. How good do they look to you? I thought they looked v- pretty good in that in their first leg CCL win against Alajuelense on the mm-hmm. road, even though they went down to ten in that game. Um, I think. I mean, my biggest question for Atlanta is how healthy is Joseph Martinez, and how long does it take for him to start clicking? Because I really like the way they played. I, um, our friend Felipe Cardenas. He's. I've been talking to him about Atlanta. I've been bugging him and reading his stories, yeah. which everyone should check out. He does a really good job with the tactics of, of Atlanta United and getting into Heinze's mind. Um, I'm, I'm really optimistic for them this season. I think they have a really good roster. I think Miles Robinson looked really good in that game um, in Costa Rica. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on Sosa. Really, I'm, I don't know if this is like lingering um, fandom from when I was eight years old growing up in the suburbs of Chicago and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were in the home run race. And, you know, me being a Cubs fan named Sam fell in love with Sammy Sosa. <laughs> so maybe there's some crossover there. Maybe I'm just, I just have a bias towards people named Sosa, but, uh, I really liked what I saw from him in the first leg. Um, so I'm really optimistic for Atlanta. I think they're going to be good. Um, and potentially really good. And my biggest question is what does Joseph look like? And is he able to bounce back? Um, and is he able to 
to hit at that rate that we've seen from him in the past when he all he did was score. Um, and if he can even approach that, um, then I think Atlanta will be flying again before too long. I'm pretty excited for the uh, the Chief Keith remix, which will be Sam Stasco Love Sosa. Uh, that's a that's a that's a joke for like eight people out there, I'm sure. Uh, Atlanta have I think like the ninth best odds. I think I wrote down the top ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They at, when I checked, they were ninth with plus. A, that might 2, be a good 000. value play, Taylor. Yeah, that's where I am with this one because I, I I basically I can't tell if Felipe is just that good of a writer and I've completely bought in. But everything I've read about the approach, I mean, they looked good in the first leg. Yeah, I liked how they look. But it just it feels very similar to Tata Martino and that there's a lot of discipline. Maybe it's even more discipline and less friendliness, avuncular friendliness than uh, think, there was at Tata Martino. But but Tata was like that in the first year, and then yeah. he kind of and then he kind of backed off a little once he knew the players and and knew how they were going to operate. Oh. Um, sorry, the dog is going crazy in the background. He's big into Atlanta United. I don't know if you can hear that. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's pretty good. What is what is the dog's name again? Lyle. 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 I was going to go Lloyd. I was like, I know there's an L in there. (laughs) Two L's. Two L's and a Y. You were close. (laughs) I try. I try. Uh, Well, if it helps, my dog is asleep about three feet from the microphone. Uh, So hopefully no noise. We'll see if the mail carrier comes then. You'll know for sure. Uh, But instead of talking about dogs, let's talk about... Let's talk about Los Angeles, either LA team. Let's start with the Galaxy since we've talked about them a little bit. we We are still talking about dogs then. Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> are you are you applauding yourself quietly uh, over there? I yeah, think? the dog is still barking in the background. I don't know what he is doing. So, uh, Lyle is big on Atlanta and the Galaxy. Then, as your two teams I, going through, I don't know. I, I don't know. He, he's hard to read. I, I shouldn't speak for him. Uh, I want to start with a player you mentioned previously. Let's talk Chicharito for a second. If you're giving his time with the Galaxy a letter grade uh where are we and what do you think needs to happen Uh, for that letter grade to improve i mean like literally anything positive it can't get worse really um i mean let's just do a quick quick recap uh he was signed i believe in january for about 10 million dollars from sevilla uh i think he was one maybe the second highest paid player in the league last year behind carlos vela although we don't know that for sure because the salaries weren't released he's Failed to record a single shot on goal as the Galaxy looked pretty bad in their first two games. Uh, He then, I believe, ditched a press conference at which he was supposed to be the main attraction. Uh, He suffered a big loss in his personal life when his grandfather died. The season shut down. He went to MLS back. MLS is back out of shape and overweight. Um, He missed, I think, some a really big sitter. He got himself hurt. The most serious injury of his career. He was out and the galaxy couldn't stop winning while he was out hurt and he came back and they immediately went into the tank again. Um, it was awful in every way. I think he scored two goals in 12 games and you know, all that off field impact that he was supposed to have in terms of getting fans into the stands and all of that, um, of course was eliminated because of COVID. So everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I think in the middle of that, his wife, um, who is Australian decided to go home with their two children. So I don't know what's going on there, but he's been away from his kids for quite some time. Um, so yeah, it was a tough year for Chicharito who said, you know, to the LA times in an interview that he did this off season that he touched rock bottom. Like he's never felt worse. He's never played worse. Um, it was the most miserable year of his life essentially. And 
this offseason, he's been saying all of the right things. Jonathan Dos Santos is, is hyping him up. Um, he's hired a nutritionist. He's working on his fitness, his performance. And I think fortunately for him and fortunately for fans of the Galaxy, he now has a much better coach in Greg Vanny than Guillermo Barroscoloto. Because for all of Chicharito's issues last season, and there were many, as I outlined, uh, the Galaxy didn't have a real coherent way of playing. They had no ideas of how they wanted to go forward as a unit. And for a striker like Chicharito, who's not going to create his own goals like Zlatan, who's reliant on service and good build-up play to get the ball into a position where he can get good service, um, that's going to hurt, right? And he should have done better even with all of that. Um, but Vanny has been out here talking about how we need to build our system to accentuate Chicharito's strengths. Because if he's not putting the ball in the net, then we're not going to be any good. And they lost Christian Pavone. Um, he's gone in Argentina dealing with a rape case, of all things, which is not good. Um, but they've brought in Kevin Cabral from from France, paid, I believe, about $6 million for him. Uh, they have Sebastian Legette, who is going through a little thing off the field of his own. Right now, they have Jonathan Dos Santos, who's, when he's going, is one of the better players in the league. Um, so they still have plenty of talent, Right. And if they can somehow find a way to just like build a coherent system and play decent soccer, then Chicharito, I mean, for all of his struggles last year, he's still really, really good at getting free in the box. He's incredible at it, right? That's what he's been best at throughout his whole career, right? It's just, it's just losing his mark yep. in, the, in six yards from goal and putting the ball in. And that skill isn't going to go away. And so if he can continue to do that and that Galaxy can actually find him, then I think he should bounce back. But um, I'm more optimistic that the Galaxy will be able to kind of help him out with Vanny than I would have been under Scalotto. I, I really believe in Greg Vanny. And I don't know if it's going to click immediately, but I think at some point he'll turn that team around in a significant way. So I'm really glad you mentioned that about Scalotto versus Vanny because I was of that mindset as well. And yet it felt almost, I, I don't know, sacrilegious to say that was the case because Scalotto was this manager who was a bit of a coup when the Galaxy get him. He wins the Primera Division twice with Boca Juniors, I think went to Copa Lib final. Uh, like it, it seemed like he yeah. was this up and coming manager. He was going to be the next big thing. Maybe that's the cautionary tale for fans of Gabriel Ince uh, or Heinz uh, at Atlanta. But then it does not work out, Greg Van. Danny is there, and the expectation would be that it will work out a, at least a little bit better. What do you think it was that Scalotto wasn't getting right? Was it just the organization? Was it were there other things as well? Was it like man management? And how do you think Greg Vanny solves some of those issues? Um, I don't know about the man management stuff. Um, that's a weird locker room to have to manage to go from Zlatan to Chicharito and COVID and all. like I don't know. I wasn't there, so that's impossible to say. But I mean, throughout his entire two years in LA, like they they had no discernible way of playing, right? I think they crossed the ball more than anybody else in the league, and it was just like, okay, get the ball to Pavone, see what he can do. Um, maybe he'll set someone up. And before that, it was, okay, get the ball to Zlatan and he'll probably score from 30 yards. And like, that's cool, but like, that's not a real winning team, right? So there wasn't much of a system there. <laughs> and then you throw in the defensive issues, which extend beyond Scalotto. And this has been a problem that's plagued the Galaxy for years. And they just bleed goals and they haven't invested properly, in my opinion, in their back line or their goalkeeper. 
Um, and the signings that they have made haven't panned out. You know, Gio Gonzalez being kind of case in point there. Um, they've tried to upgrade there this winter. Jonathan Bond, new goalkeeper, which is a fun name to say. Um, Derek Williams, Irish international, comes in at center back. So we'll see. Maybe they'll be able to improve there. Um, I do think Vanny will be able to kind of give them more of a defensive structure um, than Scalotto was. Uh, but to me, man, like the Galaxy are this are in a really interesting place because it's been five years now or four seasons since Arena and Keane and Landon left and really ended that era that was dominated by those three and Beckham when they were super, super successful and won, I think, three different MLS Cups. And since then, I, the Galaxy feel like they haven't had a plan. They've missed the playoffs three out of four years. Uh, they basically wasted Zlatan, who was incredible in terms of his goal scoring production. Um, they've, and they've just sort of been like, okay, we're LA, we're the galaxy. We're going to sign some big stars and that'll be that it'll work out. And it doesn't seem like there's been any follow through or any thought as to how to make it work out. And I think Vanny is a good guy to help turn that around. First of all, because he helped do it in Toronto already. And second of all, because, you know, he was a Galaxy player in the early days. He understands it, right? He understands the history of that club and what it means. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just super optimistic about what he's going to be able to do there. Um, I think they've been smarter with their signings this winter. Um, we'll see how they actually look on the field. Um, but it feels like there's more of a plan in place. And, you know, the other p- layer to this, and this is, God, they deserve to be dragged for this every single day. They haven't produced anything from their academy, which is a joke. It's a joke that they haven't done that. They have Efra Alvarez, and he is emerging, right? He got a first cap with Mexico recently, which is pretty incredible. We'll see what he's able to do this season. Um, but other than that, their biggest homegrown success story is Giassi Zardes, who was in their academy for, I think, a year, played four years of college soccer, and ended his career with the Galaxy as a makeshift right back, then left the club and immediately became a great striker for Columbus. So, (laughs) you know, like, it's not much to stand on, and it's the best talent region in the country, and they've gotten zero out of it, basically. And that's pathetic. They need to turn that around pretty much immediately, or not immediately. You can't turn around academy around immediately, but they need to get that on the right track immediately and wow yeah so so i'm really curious to see where this club goes and because the other part of it too off the fields lafc have completely lapped them and i don't know about you taylor but if i'm an unattached soccer fan yeah in southern california yeah and i'm like hey i'm gonna give mls a try Mm -hmm. am i gonna root for the galaxy or lafc i'm rooting for lafc and i'm not thinking I'm not thinking more than two seconds about it. Nope. There's literally zero reason the Galaxy have given me to root for them over LAFC if I'm an unattached fan in Southern California. And so they have a ton of work to do to change that. There are some structural things there in terms of stadium and location and atmosphere that you can only do so much on. Um, but they have a ton of work to do to change that in addition to all those things they have to change to get, to get things going on the field. 
I feel like you saying that uh, is enough of a preview for LAFC because I'm pretty sure that's just they're already just going to be enjoying that immensely. Uh, but instead of going in depth <laughs> on our next three teams, I'm basically going to accelerate this and I'm just going to ask you. I, I had a lot to say about the Galaxy. No, I think it's I mean, <laughs> I, I wanted you to say a lot about the Galaxy because I find them very confusing. The next three, three teams, again, less confusing to me because they're so good so consistently. Basically, I'm just going to say the team name. And you tell me if, uh, yes or no, they're still very good. Uh, LAFC? Yeah, I'm picking, I'm picking them to win everything, man. All right. Portland? Uh, yeah, they're, they're still the Timbers, man. They're still the Timbers. It's going to be same old Timbers as long as the two Diegos and Blanco can remain ageless. And Seattle? Ooh, more interesting. Um, Jordan Morris is gone, and that team is going to change big time because of it. It looks like they're going to be playing a 3-5-2 from all indications. Freddie Montero is back. Will Bruin and him are going to be playing major roles for that team. Especially especially when Rui Diaz goes to the Copa America, which he will most likely do for Peru. Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they compensate for the loss of Morris, man. And I'm curious to see what that 3-5-2 looks like. And it means that Nuhu is going to be playing higher up the field as a wing back most likely, and that's going to put him in front of goal more often. And I, let me tell you, man, if there's one thing I'm really excited about in MLS, it's that. Are you more excited about the prospect <laughs> of it being called a uh, Young Money Cash Money Initiative, or would you prefer like to get like new who wins MLS Cup, he wins the MVP, and he credits mm-hmm. you with his rise? Which one makes you happier? No, I don't want him to ever acknowledge me. Okay. That would kind of I don't. That's a, like the fourth wall that can never be broken. So I don't want that. All right. All right. Uh, I will take us in a different direction then, since we've talked about teams that are still good. Let's talk about maybe the opposite of that, because we have friends in Chicago. Chicago is a wonderful place. I would like them to be good. I asked you to give Chicharito a letter grade. You sidestepped it magnificently. So instead, I'll ask no, you. No, I didn't. I gave him an F. Oh, did you? Okay. I thought yeah. you just said it can't get any better or can't get okay. any worse, I, rather. I think I said F okay. while you were still asking the question. Ah, That's how definitive that was. All right. Well, I was going to change it for you this time. You can go letter grade or you can go thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs wavering. How are you feeling about the fire right now as we talk? Oof. Uh, wavering to down, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, they weren't very good last year. Uh, Robert Barrich is good. He put in a lot of goals. Uh, I think he will probably do so again. Um, but they were in a situation, and, and I, I want to extend them some grace because Heights and Vicky came in very late in the game last offseason, and they had to make over an entire roster very quickly. So there's only so much you can do in that situation, right? And I think one of the things that they did that's interesting is they basically didn't commit to anyone past two years. So this season, we could have a ton of turnover for the Fire again after this winter, um, which is both... A positive and maybe a negative. It's intriguing for sure. Um, I thought that they played m- some decent soccer last year, despite the fact that they missed the playoffs. Um, they weren't a bad team to watch. Uh, they did some good things in the attack, but they made a ton of like basic mistakes in defense, and that cost them a ton of points. And I don't know if that's going to change this year. Uh, I'm not sold that it will. They haven't made a ton of additions back there. Um, they've made some moves in the attacking part of the fields, um, signed a guy, Stanislav Ivanov, Bulgarian winger who they were excited about, but he's dealing with a pretty 
serious injury that's going to keep him out for a good amount of time. Um, so we won't see him for a while. So I think, you know, my prognosis for the fire for this season, they should be better than last year. They have, it's a, it's a second year for a, a lot of the guys on their roster. It's a second year under their head coach. Um, it'll be a little bit more normal. Um, and it should be a little smoother. Um, but I think the ceiling for them is pretty low. Um, and you know, maybe they fight for the playoffs. Um, maybe they get in, maybe they don't. I think they'll probably be a bubble team. Uh, and final question for you before I let you go. Uh, apologies to fans of teams we have not yet discussed. We're going to talk MLS uh, later on in the week on Total Soccer never, Show. Never so <laughs> Never hurts to be courteous, but you're right. Also, never show vulnerability <laughs> or weakness. Uh, so we'll talk about more uh, teams next week because we haven't even gotten to either of the New York teams. Or, excuse me, not next week, but later in the week. But the team I do want to ask you about is the one that's near and dear to my heart. It's DC United. Uh, and it does not sound like it's going to be a significant significantly positive more season uh marijuana was or it will be legalized i think on july 1st here in virginia huh. would you encourage people who partake to stock up in preparation for this dc united season ahead of them <laughs> i mean if that makes it uh i mean i man i don't know um because <laughs> it could make it worse depending on if it increases it could make anxiety. It worse yeah it could make it worse uh it might put you you know you might have an easier time falling asleep and taking a nap during yeah. games um, yeah, I think it's going to be a long year for DC, but right. that, that said, you know, they have some decent players, man. Like Edison Flores did pretty damn well in league MX did better than Lucas Zellerion that, that last year that they were both there. Um, and so he should be better. Um, but oh there's, there's just everything ending in a, like, he should be better. Like well, he should be, you know, and he's a good player. Like he's a legitimately good player. <laughs> yeah. Like, so like he should be better. And who knows, maybe if a player like that should be better, maybe he can carry the team, but I'm not very optimistic for them. I'm curious, you know, Hernan Losada, their new head coach, yeah. he's basically like all of my players need to be in insane shape and yeah. they're not there yet. Um, yeah. so I don't know. Curious to see if the hamstrings start to go at some point for those guys. Um, <laughs> Ooh, but yeah, I think it's going to be a long, long year in DC. That being said, man, every like DC does this all the time where it's like they're terrible one year and everyone thinks they're going to be terrible again the next year. And then all of a sudden they're like, all right, they're the fourth seed. Like, and that's how they do it. So who knows? Like they're a difficult club to predict. Um, so, but yeah, I'm not yeah. super optimistic. Can I just say one thing about the Red Bulls? Because I talked to Gerhard Struber yesterday. All right, let's talk about coach. them then. As long as you don't mind going a little bit longer, because I have yeah, some I'm questions. F- as long as you don't mind. All right, you ask me then. Go ahead. Um, sure. So basically, actually, can I ask you one more about DC first? I'm, I like that I'm asking sure. you what questions I can ask. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I just don't want to take up too much more of your time. But with no, the uh, Losada, the kind of players need to be fitter. They need to be less out of shape or overweight. Like, it seems to have been kind of reported in different ways and discussed in different ways, the physical requirements he's asking for. From what you have heard, is that more of a he wants his players to be extra fit and in the best possible shape they can be? Or is that everybody came in or a lot of people came in heavy or overweight or out of shape because <laughs> they haven't played in five months and they have to get to like sort of basic good fitness requirements like are they at that next level or is it we've got to get to the basic mm-hmm. level to then try to get to the next level short answer i don't know mm-hmm. if i had to guess i would 
I would guess it's a combination of both of those things. Because if you haven't played in five months, you're not going to be as fit as you would be in season, Mm -hmm. right? First of all, like there's just no real way to recreate that. But it sounds like Lasada is a guy who, you know, wants his guys really fit to play the system that he wants to play. And that's not a super unique thing. I think particularly in kind of modern, modern football, quote unquote, when everyone's pressing everyone else to hell, right? Um, So I think it's probably a combination of both of those things. All right. And then the Red Bulls, really, really briefly. I have questions about Gerhard Struber uh, because I was reading Adam Snavely's team preview and read former Salzburg Academy coach. And I thought, Mm -hmm. yep, that tracks. And then that sentence concluded with that they had to fish him away from Barnsley, where he was responsible for implementing the style that has gotten them to where they are. And now I'm concerned because I've seen Barnsley play and it's a lot of direct balls. It's a lot of long balls. It's a lot of Daryl DK fighting for everything and frequently scoring. Let's hope that continues. Um, Daryl DK's face aside, they're not that pretty of a team. So what do we know about how Struber wants to play? Is it more direct and practical or is it more I mean, Red Bull style pressing and counter pressing and all that good stuff? Have you seen the Red Bulls play? Would you call that attractive? Uh, you mean recently or historically? The New York Red Bulls, like in the last five years. I mean, it's been something. Yeah, I mean, like it hasn't been bad. It just mm-hmm. depends on your preferences, this right? They're gonna they're gonna press, 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 and then when they have Sasha Kleshton or Kaku playing like he did in 2018, right? They press, they turn you over, and those guys are playing beautiful through balls to Bradley Wright Phillips, and he's scoring a ton of goals, and it looks pretty damn good, right? Last year, Kaku wasn't so good, and he's playing not so beautiful through balls to Brian White and Tommy Barlow, and it's not as amazing, right? Um, Gerhard Struber is a fully dyed in the wool member of the Church of Red Bull. Okay. He played for Salzburg um, in the year, their first year as Red Bull Salzburg. Um, that was his last year as a player. Interestingly, he worked for Allianz Insurance for eight years, including a few while he was still playing. So he was away from the game for a while. And then he got back in as an academy coach. Um, with Salzburg, he actually worked with Ernst Tanner, who was the Philly, the Philly sporting director, who was academy director at Salzburg at the time. Um, and eventually made his way up through the youth ranks in Austria, through a second division club, brief stint in the first division in Austria, then to Barnsley. And I was able to look up a lot of stats on how Barnsley played in the 30 games that Struber was there. And he saved them from relegation and they had 40 points in those 30 games and they Barely, barely saved them from relegation. They had two stoppage time wins in the last two weeks. And even then, they only didn't get relegated because Wigan went into administration and had a 12-point deduction. So (laughs) um, they barely stayed up. But the way he played is it's just like the Red Bulls. So I'm just going to rattle off some stats at you. Okay. Barnsley under Struber in 2019-2020 season. First in recoveries. Second in recoveries in the final third. First in the championship in duels, third in interceptions, sixth in aerials, first in tackles. Okay? So so there you go. A few more things. Second in the number percentage of passes in the final third. Third in percentage of passes that go forward. First in where they were starting their possessions. So they started their possessions further from their own goal line than any other team in the championship. And they were fourth in the meters the ball advanced per second while they were in possession. So what does that tell you, right? Well, they're they're a pressing team that gets vertical really quickly when they're on the ball. Hmm. And the Red Bulls 
are very, very similar in terms of their 2020 metrics for MLS. Where they differ is what happens when they actually get the ball, right? So Barnsley under Struber, they were pretty good at getting the ball into decent positions. They created a good number of chances. They had a good amount of expected goals. What they were bad at was finishing under Struber, right? No team in the championship during the 2019-20 season, during what in the 30 games that he was head coach, had a greater difference between goals and expected goals than Barnsley, right? They were underperforming pretty big in that category. Um, the Red Bulls, they had problems getting the ball into good positions, right? They were less precise in terms of their pack- passing accuracy. They just basically couldn't get it to the spot where they could then get it to the spot where they could maybe get a chance, <laughs> right? So they're missing that step. And so his job is to basically complete that step. And one other note on Barnsley, one of the reasons that they've taken off like they have over these last couple of months and are now in the promotion playoff places is because Daryl DK is breaking the expected goal model, right? He's finishing like in, like an insane person. Um, so they didn't have that under Struber and, and they certainly have it now with DK. Um, so that's what he's tasked with. And the Red Bulls are super young. They don't have many big names. Um, but one guy to watch is Caden Clark. And if, if they're going to be a team that can not only lead the league in recoveries and recoveries in the final third like they did last year, right, but be a team that can take those recoveries and actually do something with them in terms of you know going to goal, then a lot of that is going to be on Clark. A lot of it might be on Frankie Amaya if that deal gets done. Um, so... It's, I'm really interested to see how they play, but it's going to be more of the same. Like, this guy is Red Bull. Like, he is ultimate Red Bull. Um, so that's that's the shift that they've taken. Not really a shift, mm-hmm. more of a continuation um, and maybe a, a re-emphasis on, on what they've done here for a number of years. So he's ultimate Red Bull, but he got Barnsley playing this very attractive style that has worked for them and then it has been very attractive wait are you calling it attractive now because you were just you were you were just saying it was ugly oh no i think it's ugly i'm saying your argument is that it's better than i am saying it is i'm not saying it's attractive i'm not making a judgment on the aesthetics i'm just saying like this is how they play and like for better or for worse that's what they're gonna do all right. I, no, I would never say that Barnsley play uh, pretty soccer, but I would say they play efficient soccer and Daryl DK scores goals. So I just want to get this on the record before we go. Uh, Sam Stasco of The Athletic is reporting that the Red Bulls are interested in Daryl DK. Is that correct? <laughs> um, which Red Bulls? <laughs> uh, Good point. Good call. <laughs> the, I think the New York Red Bulls would be interested in him, uh, yeah. just like every other team in MLS would be interested yeah. in him. I don't think any of those teams will be getting him. I'll put it like that. Uh, but they do instead have Fabio uh, in as maybe a goal scoring right. op- option. What do you make of him? What do you think he'll be doing for the Red Bulls? Or who I do you think no will idea. be scoring those goals? He came from the second division in Brazil. I You're not on that one? No? Much. I can't say I know much about him. Um, I don't know, man. I still have a lot of questions about them. Yeah. It, it looks like they're going to be changing their formation and maybe playing Royer as a second striker underneath Fabio and doing maybe maybe a diamond in the midfield. And Who knows? Uh, I'm very curious to see what they look like in terms of their shape on, on Saturday against Kansas City in their opener. But I think in terms of their overall principles, it's going to be more of the same and, and then some in terms of what we're used to from, from Red Bull. 
All right. So it's it seems like basically there's going to be a lot of good teams and a lot of very interesting teams one way or the other uh, for everyone to watch this weekend and beyond. Sam, I know you've got a very busy week with everything leading up to the start of the season. What are you all going to be doing with Allocation Disorder this week? Uh, oh, man, we are going to be getting exposed right now in terms of the lack of planning we do for that <laughs> podcast. Um, no, we're going to be going through and making some predictions and picks. Maybe we'll be um, there should uh-huh. be some news on Miami. So we might be talking about that. Um, maybe we'll talk about uh, some some young money um, stuff after that gets officially announced. And MLS did they did a lot of media availabilities on Monday. Uh, and one of the things they did was they shared a bunch of slides in terms of transfers and outgoing and incoming and money spent and average ages and homegrowns. So maybe we'll pick out some interesting nuggets from those two. But it'll primarily be picks, predictions, and I don't know, me yelling at Paul or something. That sounds good to me. All right. Well, uh, folks, you check that one out. Obviously, that's Friday with Allocation Disorder. But Sam, stay school. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer all my questions to go very long in previewing the upcoming MLS season. We'll be doing more of that later on in the week. But for now, Sam, thank you once again. Thank you, Taylor. It was fun. Listeners, thank you all for listening. I hope you all had fun as well. And we will talk to you again soon.